The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
So well, all sinister. Right. All right. So yeah, sinister is definitely definitely a good way to describe the vibe on that one. And what organ do you think that is they use? Was that a Hammond? I don't know. No, it's not a Hammond. Um, it definitely kind of like harkens back to like that 60s oh, yeah. organ thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, not a Hammond. Hammond's a lot deeper and richer. That was like kind of freaky. It actually reminded me of the, uh, the uh, Arthur... Uh, what's his face? Song oh, uh, from the crazy world of Arthur yes, Brown. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not far off there. Yeah. So yeah, kind of a kind of a retro vibe on that one. Interesting call, Johnny. Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, that was a little ditty by Monster Magnet uh, called "See You in Hell." <laughs> that came out in 1998, and an interesting story about the inspiration for that song. Okay. Um, legend has it, or yes. from his own lips, the uh, right. lead singer Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet was on a bus ride to his hometown of Red Bank from New York City, ah. and this old crusty hippie dude sits down next to him on the bus and just starts talking, Yeah, told him this whole story about him and his wife and how much drugs they did back in the day, Holy and they had shit. a kid that they buried in the kitchen because oh, they didn't nice. want to admit that they had it or whatever. <laughs> Man. And he was like, I don't know if this was just a crazy rambling old man, if it was true. And he's right. like, in order to like get this out of my head, this whole story, you know, because I didn't go to the cops or anything, right. I just sat down and kind of wrote a song about Purged it. Purged so. himself with the song. So there you go. I mean, that's one way to do it, right? Well, that's kind of like the typically bizarre shit you run into when you're riding a bus. Exactly. You know? Like, you just, yeah, what do you yeah. expect? Now, that was, was that Red <laughs> Bank, like the, the legendary Red Bank from well, I don't Kevin know if I call it legendary, but yes, it is the very same. No, no kidding. Red Bank's okay. a, it's, it's a nice little town. It's very yeah. eclectic and... Um, I guess you could you could liken it to some of the uh, North Jersey cities like Hoboken. Okay. Once they became gentrified, yeah. it's a lot of very expensive stores, great little places and nooks to eat. Right. And yes, of course, the uh, you know famous comic book yeah, store the, sitting there of, yeah. of Kevin, Kevin Smith, Smith of Clerks fame and <laughs> yep. the, the the whatever universe that he comes mm-hmm. from, the Ultraverse or the Kevinverse or whatever. Right. But yeah, you know behind. You know, the closed doors of said communities like that, some funky shit quite often sure, goes on. Sure. You know? Which is, I think, the motivation for uh, for our opening gem of today. Indeed it is. And we went with something kind of just creepy like that uh, and, you know, alleging crimes and whatnot because uh, our main topic tonight is kind of an amalgamation of America's obsession with True crime, and and not just their obsession with it, but the propensity it has to uh, spawn copycats and you know real life other crimes that are right. going to match right. it. You know, yeah. The old question of does art imitate life or life imitate art? Exactly. Yeah. And in this case, you don't want one imitating the other. You really don't. Right. And I thought we should talk about it in particular this week because um, I had touched on it once before yep. in an episode when uh, Professor Snoof came to visit. Snoof. How's the professor doing Oh, it was just dandy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen him out in a while, so oh, I might God. have to check on him soon. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and it was just, you know, we, we touched on America's obsession with it, especially as it relates to podcasts. Right. Because it seems to be the perfect medium for that. Yeah. But I'm saying to myself, even back then, I don't know. It's just it's kind of macabre and weird that okay. people would just be so into these stories it is. of violence and blood yeah. and murder. Well, the thing that weirds me out about it is, I mean, it's obvious why people get into horror films. You know, mm-hmm. that jolt of adrenaline and that scare and the things that go bump in the dark and all right. that. That's fun, you know. And it, you know, right after the jolt, the the Hitchcock jolt that you get. 
you know, you often follow with a with a bout of laughter and it's sure, fun and sure. this and that. But where things kind of get weird is with the true crime thing. It crosses over into reality, right? Thus, the name true, true crime. crime. Yeah, In many go. cases, non-solved crimes at that quite frequently. So whoever did this shit, as you're sitting there eating your popcorn, just enthralled by the the bloody mayhem. You gotta remember that these people are, in many cases, still out there. Yeah, yeah. And well, for me, that's where I disconnect. Yeah. Well, that's one <laughs> of the biggest criticisms that the genre gets is the the apparent uh, lack of sympathy to reality and the people that right. you know honestly suffered from some of these. And things. there's sometimes glorification of these crimes. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, yeah. and there's there's a couple you know instances I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on in real life as well as what's been presented in, in the media and on TV. Yeah. And, you know, one of the... Uh, you can't make this stuff up. What's the plural of impetus? Is that the same word? Both ways? <laughs> <Impetus. laughs> you know, this whole uh, little dust-up they had in, in uh, Idaho, Idaho on the college campus, yeah, which is still unfolding, so that we yeah, might as well just leave it at that. Yeah, quite disturbing, too. You know, but you've also got the Netflix uh, special or miniseries with Jeffrey Dahmer that was just... Watched by millions, yeah, you know? and a lot of controversy again. Not being sympathetic to yes. the family members and whatnot. And it, wouldn't you? Didn't you relate an anecdote to me as far as the the, the stuff going on in, in Idaho that somebody remarked about how it's soon obviously going to be a series on Netflix or something like oh, that? Oh, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't. I don't remember saying that, but yeah, it, it's a no brainer because you know now that there's a contingent. Um, in the brain trust rooms of Hollywood where they're looking at scripts and throwing them around. Yep. There's people that are there saying, you know, it's hot right now, crime stuff. Yeah. So they're looking at current events in the news with, with rabid enthusiasm, yeah. no doubt, thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, we, we got to do yeah, this we can, one. Yeah, we can make a yeah. series out of that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nothing new, of course. The actual genre of true crime can be traced all the way back to 1617. <laughs> Uh, late Ming Dynasty in China, uh, there was a collection of stories uh, that somebody put together and published under the title "The Book of Swindles." Oh, and yeah, you, when you it was Zhang Ying Yu or some shit like that. This guy that put right. it together. It's okay, he's not here. Nah, I was yeah, gonna say I'm not gonna be offended. <laughs> yeah, his family is like, you know, but uh, but yeah. So it's it's nothing new, and it's obviously something that has held the public interest for quite some time. Indeed. I mean, we're talking centuries now. Yeah. I mean, people love luck. I mean, people love uh, salacious stories. Yeah. And gossip, and like I said to you, you know. Wax museums, which you don't see around much anymore. The only right. one that gets any notoriety is, is Madame Tussaud. Right. But not that long ago, a few decades maybe, or perhaps our childhood. Mm-hmm. I remember this from wood carvings, of course. Right. You know, wax museums were kind of a thing. They were. They and were back in the day. Sure. There was always an area where it just descended into torture, murder, you know, famous movie monsters. That was the. That's what people yeah. went there to go and see. Blood, always right. with the blood. Yeah, and the, you know, wax museums at that point. Sure, they probably reached their zenith of popularity, but they had been around since the 1800s, and people would pay money to go see these reenactments of oh, yeah. Lizzie Borden, Jack the Jack Ripper. The Ripper. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's just like, what kind of person is enthralled by this? But more so. Do we really want to be in encouraging this right now when we've got a society that's already suffering from PTSD? Message! 
from the pandemic. Everything. Yeah. And, yeah, and just yeah. everything. So some days, you know, on this podcast, we'll rail at the fact that people just seem a little more rude than they used to be. Indeed. A month from now, or are we going to have to be like, well... The average Joe's a little more murderous than he was yeah. 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah, do we really want to be inspiring these people? I mean, right. yeah, it's it's a well-known fact at this point that violent crime rates have spiked uh, noticeably and disturbingly over the last couple of years of the pandemic since 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in 2006, in fact, predating all of this, there was a report done by a, uh, a group called the uh, Associated Contact, I think, or something, uh, otherwise known as Yahoo Voice, mm-hmm. uh, but they're a publication that focuses on publications, what's popular and whatnot. And they noted specifically that in the 21st century, the fastest growing genre of published material is true crime. Right. People really are obsessed with this stuff. And like I said, it's it's natural for people to be into that. I mean, shit, you turn on the TV, there's any number of uh, what they call the procedural police dramas. Yeah. But this is different than that. Yeah. And I'll also give a, a, a nod and a wink, because she's probably going to listen to this. Uh, yeah. My Mrs. X. We'll ah, leave her anonymous. Okay. You know, she enjoys true crime, but she's just finished reading a book on, on D.B. Cooper. Okay? Ms. Anonymous. I think Ms. you anonymous. have mentioned her <laughs> once or twice. Yes. And and that's like that's like a whole different ball game D. because Cooper? that's a famous crime, and yeah. yet... It's it's famous because they never caught the guy. Yeah, you know, extremely. They don't know what happened to the money. He jumped out of an airplane with all. This. I mean, that that's shit. That's movie of the week material right there. It is. It has been a topic of a number of movies since then. Right, and it's kind of cool because yeah, there's no grisly murders involved exactly. with DB Cooper, but uh, but you know, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, just out of random, see if you can guess what the most popular true crime publication of all time is, and I'll bet it won't take long. Well, you know what? And, and, and full disclosure, folks, he asked me this earlier, and I missed it, <laughs> and he gave me the answer, uh, and I forgot away, already. Gave I know we got to be oh, honest Oh, all with right, him. then you forgot it. That's good. <laughs> um, not not going to come as a shock to most people, Helter Skelter. There you go, yep. By Vincent Bugliosi, <laughs> who was the prosecutor on that case. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen the Charlie Manson t-shirts, you yeah. know? It's like, really? T-shirts for this guy? And I think the only thing that maybe kept that in, in perspective for the heinous crime that it was was the fact that they solved it and they got him and his yeah. accomplices and all that. So they yeah. kind of were able to put a bow on it. But if something like that was unsolved, Jesus. they most certainly would have been copycats. Oh, without a doubt. I because mean, look at Jack the Ripper. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it happened during a period of, of enlightenment, as they say. Right. And if Scott and Yard couldn't figure out who this was, mm-hmm. they're never going to figure it out. Well, the sad fact is most murders don't get solved. You know, the majority don't get solved. Yep. And it's, it's kind of disturbing when you think about it. You know, the number of quote-unquote serial killers that are currently on the loose is not publicized. It's mm-hmm. not brought up, and for very good reason, because people would go a little batshit, you right. know? Uh, it, it's, you know, I would cite as a good example of this, the Night Stalker mm-hmm. scenario, that freak Richard Ramirez, who fortunately died back in 2013. I, as a rule, don't get into this kind of stuff. Me it's, either. It doesn't do me any good. I don't enjoy it and whatnot. But I will admit that not too long ago, I got sucked into a Netflix series, a four-part series on Richard Ramirez, mostly because... When I touched down in Southern California for the first time in the fall of 1985, this lunatic was still on the loose. Right. And it, 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 I've always been attracted to uh, period pieces and whatnot, stuff that takes place 
prior to. I'm a history buff like you are. And it was a curiosity to me, you know, to look back at Los Angeles in the mid to late 1980s and whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, I binged it. I did all four episodes one night. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, it left me a little disturbed for a couple weeks after that. And it was kind of, it reminded me of why I don't watch this kind right. of shit. Right. Because it, you know, pardon my French, it fucks with your head. It does. And it kind of. Or it should. Put it yeah, that way. It should. It, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and it kind of makes me wonder about the kind of people that are way into this stuff and way into this genre. And I genre. agree. And I and, say to you, I, I don't understand the, the mindset. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've alluded many times, you know, both of us have what we like to say, colorful pasts. Yeah. Now you just can't leave. Yeah. And I can say with, with no uncertainty, you know, I've, I've looked true evil in the eye yeah. and I don't care to meet it again. No. Guilty. And watching these shows, it just stirs up this, this underlying discomfort, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that for me is, is why I don't, enjoy this stuff and I'm sure um, you know anybody that's been a victim of crime or lost loved ones to crime or murder or whatever what have you yeah. they would probably say the same thing and just be like you know thanks but no let's let's watch the game yeah I don't begrudge anybody else uh, enjoying it you know teach his own as long as you're not hurting anybody or becoming a copycat yeah but yeah I just I can't snuggle up to it or even movies where the lead character is is accused of something and their life gets destroyed, yeah, and they spend the rest of the movie kind of trying to clear their name and what. Yeah, I don't like any of that stuff. Well, I think you touched on <laughs> it when you when you, you know, in reality, come face to face with this kind of dark energy. And yeah, in my quote unquote colorful past, you know, it's taken me down some dark roads here and there, and I have come in contact with what I could only really describe as really really dark energy. And yeah, once you go there, that's not something you want to relive or rehash or, right. or look at, you know. And, and I can't help but wonder if, you know, the vast majority of people that, that are attracted to this kind of thing are people who've never come in contact with it in real life. They must you know? be very, very sheltered. Yeah, sitting in the comfort <laughs> of the suburbs. And mm -hmm. yeah, they've never, you know, ventured too far from home. They've never... You've never tasted desperate. Experienced life to any degree of extremes, right. and yeah, when you see uh, firsthand how dark human nature can get, it's not something you want to relive, and it's mm -hmm. certainly not something you want to watch a documentary on. Right, and because know? of that, people call me a pessimist. Can you believe that? Ah, shocking! I just have no faith in my fellow man at all, <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> This is, this is news to me, folks. And I, and I, I hadn't heard this from John. And before. I'm not saying this really because I discovered online accidentally that there is a line of Democrat action figures. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just no. Little no, six-inch no, Nancy please, Pelosi's. Please, and, no. And Dr. Fauci's. Oh, and, good Lord. I still believe in, in, in the innate ability for humanity just to, to save itself. <laughs> I Please, just... Ugh. Yeah. But anyway, uh, back to the target. Indeed. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of a fascination, you know, talking about the true, true crime genre, if you will. But something like 40% of, of true crime genre stories seem to focus on killers, serial killers mm -hmm. in particular, even though in real life, or I guess we are talking about real life, so that's probably a stupid comment, but murders only account for less than 20% of all recorded crime. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the whole giving people what they want kind of a thing, clickbait, you know, whatever, ratings, blah, blah, blah. Again, something like 40% of all 
true crime genre stories focus on serial killers. Right. Now, why do you think that is? Well, I, I see your disturbing uh, stat, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll raise you one. Uh, all right. Uh, I was reading an article by a... Um, a uh, doctor of psychology, Joni E. Johnston, okay. uh, clinical forensic uh, psychologist, private investigator, author, and host, of course, of a podcast, Unmasking a Murderer. <laughs> and uh, her article led off with it with a fact. You know, I never like to really throw facts around because in an audio medium, yeah. you know, charts and graphs don't work, ironically. Not really. yeah. However, um, you know, the thing that, that concerns me about this glorification of all this true crime nonsense yeah. is the potential for copycats. Yes. So some people would kind of look at you and give you that face and like, seriously, how many people are going to copy what they see on TV or they hear? Ooh. Well, I have an answer for you. Oh, boy. Because they had interviewed uh, 574 people in prison for okay. various crimes. Right. 22% admitted to having committed a copycat crime. Oh, great. So, you know, people just don't wake up with this outlandish shit one day. The seed is planted. Exactly. Yeah. And we've seen it in, you know, both forward and reverse. So forward being sometimes something crazy will happen and then they'll make a movie out of it. Right. Sometimes they make the movie and then people want to copycat the movie, a la Taxi Driver with Hinckley. Right. Um, you had mentioned uh, Dexter to me. Yeah, Dexter is... Bizarre and fascinating and off the wall and anti hero story as it is, was in fact based on a real life character, a, a serial killer from South America, I believe it was, excuse me, Brazil, now that I think about it, mm -hmm. a guy named Pedro Rodriguez Filho. Uh, and in real life, this guy claimed, after they caught his ass, that he only killed murderers and criminals. Mm. Yeah. That's a bit of an anti hero. Uh, to say the least, <laughs> to, to to the extreme, and you know, yeah, I, and I've seen interviews with Michael C. Hall, who plays Dexter. Yeah. Strange dude. Oh yeah, definitely. You know? Always, always has been. But yeah, when you think about it, I mean, taking the anti-hero concept to a whole new twisted level, mm -hmm. uh, Dexter. I mean, right. I'm sure you've seen it. I've yeah. seen it. As a matter of fact, they just did a did a, I don't know, a sequel season, I guess, uh, appropriately titled New Blood. Right. <laughs> You know, people are drawn into that. And kind I could of never, stuff. I could never get into Dexter for the same reason I could never really ardently get into Breaking Bad, because every episode, like every third episode, they would end a tiny little story arc, and they were in the clear. Right? right. They could get out, go have a normal life, whatever the hell that is. Right. And I'm like yelling at the TV, "Do it, do it! You're done. You're free." But <laughs> nope, they go right back to what they were doing. Yeah. And like I said, it would just leave me feeling uneasy. And that's yeah. not what I consider entertainment after a hard day of no. what no. I do in the real world. No. <laughs> well, you know, when you think about it, you know, you see something like Halloween. And I guess the Halloween just this past year had a brand new sure. yeah. Halloween and whatnot. Reasonably speaking, rationally speaking, you're not going to run into Michael Myers outside. Right. You know, right. this is a fictitious character. It's not real. <laughs> um, I hope. Um, but, yeah, some of these other things, um, I was just perusing TV recently, and there was uh, a miniseries going on about Phil Spector mm -hmm. and the, the apparent murder of uh, Laura Clarkson. Mm -hmm. In addition to Dexter New Blood, I, there was another uh, show, I think it was on Hulu, about some twisted shit that went on with Chippendales and the mm -hmm. development of the whole Chippendales thing, whatever you want to call it. I mentioned the Night Stalker. You know, mm -hmm. that was 2021. That was not too long ago. 
There are plenty of examples of this currently on the air. Right. Very popular. Yeah. What does that say about society? We're a bunch of degenerates. It would seem. what it's saying. And, you know, nowadays they'll, they'll vacillate between giving the identity of whoever commits these, these crimes, if they right. figure it out. Right. Or they won't give the full description because they want to make it racist, you know, racist. Even though really ra- most psychopaths racial, are racist. white. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think they shouldn't give these people any notoriety. And one of the things the good doctor mentions in our, in our article is that crime-related media coverage can give troubled individuals inspirational ideas and impetus to brag about their plans. Because yeah. now they're seeing themselves as the show, basically. Right. You know? Right. And it's like, on one hand, well, yeah, we want to know who these people are, especially if it happens in your hometown. Yeah. But the way they're paraded around, I mean... Again, I, I, I've said before, when they, when they catch somebody dead to rights for a crime, especially something as heinous as, as murder or rape, yeah. you drag them out into the public square, put two in their head, yeah. wash your hands of it, and just let them out there for the buzzers to pick on them. Yeah. This whole dog and pony show, these long, drawn-out, salacious trials with you know the updates every damn day. Oh, this is what happens today. And you get all these you know, pundits on the news, because you know, they've got... Of course, you know, CNBC, uh, CNN, Fox, yep. they've always got these experts in waiting. Yeah, these, isn't that funny these how... These super yeah. creepy types that are, like, specialize in this, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, see, what's going on here now is they're going to try and, you know, test the blood. And just, yeah, no. Yeah, so we really <laughs> want to get into the mind of a serial killer. Right. Yeah, that was one of the, actually, the fun things about the whole Night Stalker thing and how that concluded is... is Basically, the way they got him, they finally identified this guy, put his picture in the paper, mm-hmm. and you know released it to the general public. The mob got to him before the police did, and judging by the condition he was in when the police finally got him, they beat the holy living shit out of this guy. As they should. Yeah, and it's only a shame that they didn't kill his ass first. I don't mind mob justice as long as they're not coming for me. <laughs> Just saying. Was that a knock on the door, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> we want to see a hanging, damn it. Oh, my goodness. I think that was me in another life. Uh, Just some old hag yelling, hang him. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Or I'd be more tolerant of so many things. Which? Yeah. Right. (laughs) So on that note, that's our our riff on that. Yeah. And uh, it it had to be said, and stay tuned, because it's it's showing no signs of letting up. No, it isn't. Like I said, you know, according to that that report from those folks at Yahoo, fastest growing genre In public, in publishing of yeah. the 21st century so far, don't see that changing. And for a really rare occurrence, I might have to collectively pat us on the back. Okay. Because when we bring up stuff like this, yes, normally like the real impetus is, is not far behind. Isn't and that it tends funny to how that's, flare that's, that's worked <laughs> out on a few occasions? You know, we yeah. should instead of you know because we're due for another greatest hits episode or you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm thinking maybe I should just put a show together and, and date stamp the episodes <laughs> where we talked about something, and within two weeks, it was like a national story. It became a know? thing, yeah. Sorry, all you big news agencies, but these two middle-aged guys with access to the internet have scooped you quite a few yeah, times. Yeah, throw away your crystal ball, folks. <laughs> just tune in to Riffs and Rants, and we'll tell you what's coming. Right, but until then, we'll play nice-nice, because yeah, like we don't want to knock at the door. No, not at so all. it's time for the middle gem. I like it. 
cut from the same cloth as our opening topic. Indeed, indeed. This is a little ditty from uh, a band that's near and dear to my heart because they're locals. They're right from my backyard, the Rhode Island School of uh, School of Art, I believe it mm-hmm. was. Uh, of course, I'm referring to the Talking Heads. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the very first songs that the uh, the Heads wrote together, and uh, it, quite a quite a an accomplishment given how popular it it still is to this day mm-hmm. and very fitting for what we've been chatting about this is a song called psycho killer indeed it is and we're gonna play that for you now folks and we'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things and scintillating stuff You're not safe. 
Never a bad time for a little talking heads. Especially yes. that song. Yeah. Normally we keep it for Halloween, truth be told. This is true. This is true. But you got to admire a band where, like, coming out of the gate, right at the very beginning of their career, they nail it with the song <laughs> that's going to carry them the rest of the way. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, it kind of matched the look, too, with the oversized suits. Oh, and God. David Byrne? Yeah. yeah. Totally becoming <laughs> the character on stage. Yep. Yeah. Funky. Funky. But, yeah, that was Psycho Killer, obviously, from the Talking Heads. That was from their 1977 debut release, Talking Heads 77. And uh, a bit of a you know twist in history, I guess you could say. But because of the timing of the release, the song immediately became associated with the Son of Sam killings mm-hmm. uh, in New York in the late nineteen seventy six, early nineteen seventy seven era. Yep. And uh, even though the song itself way predated that, they had rough versions of it that they were doing as early as late nineteen seventy five. Hmm. But again, you know, courtesy of the timing. People automatically ascribed it to, oh, this must be about Son of Sam, which, if you know anything about that story, right. that's some weird-ass shit right there. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those oddities of timing, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. So, Talking Heads, thank you. Yeah, so it was a nice way to uh, not just wrap up the, the opening, yeah. but change the tone, because it's a much different tone to that, that song than it was to Monster Magnet, yes, because we're going indeed. a little lighter in the subtopic today. Uh, and the impetus for this subtopic was uh, the death last week of uh, a voice actor named Kevin Conroy, yes. who for a generation did the voice of Batman in yeah. all its itinerations. Yeah. Cartoon, uh, video games, radio stuff, uh, visual, I mean, just you name it. Oh, yeah. Well, the guy was legendary in his field. Right. Not a very well-known name to the general public, but to mm-hmm. people that do voiceover work as a career, you know, he was he was the hallmark. He was the legend. Yeah. He was a and it was very good. And it was yeah. it was surprising because if you look at that one little nugget of the business, all the people that voice these different superheroes and all the animated things that are put out, you know, fairly frequently, yeah, it, it tends to change based on. The, the tone of the piece, is it serious, is it cartoony, is it for kids, is it for his adults? Right. And Kevin was one of those individuals that, no matter what it was, they always used him. The other right. exception is, of course, Mark Hamill, yep. who did the voice for the Joker yeah. since the, the same time period that Kevin Conroy started doing yeah. the Batman. And they, they were you know thick as thieves, the two of them in real oh, life. Yeah. And that's right, folks. Luke Skywalker yep. is the Joker. Probably made a heck of a lot more money <laughs> as no. the, the Joker, you know, all yeah. things being, you know... Uh, suited to the time period, made a lot more as the voice of the Joker yeah. than he did as Luke. Yeah. So then we went from there, and we're like, all right, well, what do you want to discuss in this, this, this facet? And I said, let's talk about the different incarnations of Batman on the small and the large screen, yep. and what each individual, you know, what their hit was, what their misses were, yep. kind of like... In the same vein as you had brought up earlier, James Bond. Yes, because very much it so. is a gen. It, it's who's you know, your Batman? Exactly. Yes, everyone's yes. got a preference based on the one that they had when they were a kid. Yep. Or yep. they like their movies better for whatever reason. So yeah, it's very very similar. Yeah. And just a little asterisk, folks. Johnny and I could burn up probably twenty or thirty hours easy. Oh, easily talking <laughs> about the Batman, the storied yep. history of the Batman. Yep. I mean, it really is when you talk about. 
you know, going all the way back to the late 1930s and the comic, and then, you know, the TV series in the 60s and all the movies. This is something that not only could you burn up hours and hours talking about, but it's a lot of fun. Right. You know? So, I mean, the first one, and this is easy. We're not even going to do the, the guy that played him in the black and white serials because that was just a whole different world back then. No doubt. So even if you were to start with Adam West, I mean, obviously, look, he, he, he made the, the, the character come to life. He was the first one. Yep. And as campy as it was, those were the times. That was the mission. Yeah. And as a little kid in the 70s, you know, that, that show was from the late 60s. It was still, like, new to me, so yep. to speak. So yep. I grew up watching these reruns. And for the longest time, he was my Batman. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing phenomenon, very similar to uh, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In that it became much bigger and much more uh, legendary, if you will, in reruns yeah. than it ever did during the original run. The original run was 120 episodes that went from 66 to 68, mm-hmm. but the repercussions yes. just reverberated for for decades afterwards. Yep. And you know, rightly or wrongly, Adam West forever got associated with that part. Right. You know. And you know. What I liked about it is that he was like the ultimate straight man in this very campy yes, setup. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And what people forget is that pretty much every single actor or actress that played a supervillain on that show, there was a line around the block. Oh, man. They all wanted to... This was the thing at the time because it was such yep. a cultural phenomenon yep. in the short term, including, of all people, Frank Sinatra wanted to play the Joker. No kidding. And due to scheduling constraints, he's like, wow. no, nah, I can't do it. I got to do this movie. Can and you imagine? Right? Wow. Talk about completely different than Cesar Romero with his <laughs> painted mustache. Yep. Though Cesar Romero and Frank Sinatra actually were friends. They yep. And he had all of, all of the respect, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, uh, bestowed upon him from old blue eyes, which is a pretty, right. pretty rarefied and air to look, occupy. I mean, you, know? you had everybody from... Uh, was it Otto Schlesinger? No. Um, the famous director played Mr. Freeze. Oh, Otto Preminger? Yes. 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 Then you had you know, Burgess Meredith. These are all established actors. Yeah. Frank okay? Gorshin. Frank Gorshin, right? And yeah. even his replacement, um, uh, his father to uh, Samwise Gamgee. Oh, yes. Uh, Austin. Aston. <laughs> yes. John Aston. John Aston, yes. But uh, Cliff Robertson, Art Carney, Victor yep. Bono, Oh, and the Vincent woman that Price. played Catwoman. Which one? No, no, Take no. your pick. I know. There were so many of them. <laughs> Eartha Kitt. Yep. I mean, talk about a showbiz legend. Yep. So yeah. that's what that, you know, he was able to bring this um, together based on, look, his acting chops. He, he made it something that other people wanted to be yes. a part of. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. So now we move on. And then, of course, bang, here's 1989. You haven't seen anything about Batman other than cartoons yep. since the 60s. Yep. Everybody's got this concept. Oh, it's, it's, it's campy. It's, Bright and cheery, you got Robin there, blah, blah, blah. And here comes the Tim Burton vision. So we gotta yep. give him a little little tip of the hat. Yep. But Michael Keaton did so much with so little. Yes. Because he wasn't the star of the movie. Obviously, it was Jack Nicholson was a joker. Yeah. But that's the perfect way it should have been played. So Yeah. Well, I think in a lot of ways, kind of like what we were talking about pre-show, is Michael Keaton nailed it by not fucking it up. Bruce Wayne. Nespa? Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't ruin it. Right. You know, it, it, George Clooney can't say the same. Oh, you know? we'll get to George. Yeah, we'll get to George. <laughs> but yeah, you look at the string of actors, you know, from Adam West, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, 
Robert Pattinson. I mean, this is just a who's who of, (laughs) you know, and like we were talking about, it's a generational thing, very James Mm Bond-like in that respect. Never rub another man's rhubarb. (laughs) And uh, and yeah, just quite an interesting, interesting progression in history. And just even in the, the, the villain roles, you know, from Jack Nicholson to Heath Ledger, I mean, just stunning, you know, just absolutely stunning. All right, let me get back on track since you're committed to jumping over me. Yeah, you got spirit, kid. I'll give you that. Good Lord. Sorry about that, folks. So much for planning. All right, all right. Back to the point. All right, so you get past Michael Keaton. Yes. And it was very successful. Now you got Val Kimmler, did a one-off. I don't think he was bad. I think Joel Schumacher was a bad director. I agree. Um, I think they never should have introduced this 20-something-year-old Robin. It kind of yeah. just like ruined it. Mm-hmm. So that's all we got to say about that. The best thing about Batman Forever was the soundtrack, basically. Yep. yep. Then we go from Val to, yeah, now it gets a little little screwy, a little, little wonky. Yeah. George Clooney, look, I mean, he, he's a good actor. Yep. Maybe with a good script. Better costumes because the nipples on the bat suit, that whole thing we didn't need. But they were so hell-bent on pigeonholing all these villains into it that nobody really cared about it. Nobody cares about Poison Ivy. Bane was only like three years old in the comics at that point. Like, let it it settle. Yeah. And I mean, Jim Carrey should have been given so much... So much space and so much breath to be Jim Carrey. Right. Well, I was in Batman Forever. Yeah. Right. Now we're on the on the George Clooney one, which right. is Batman and Robin. Right. The other big eyesore in this whole thing was Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. as Victor Freeze. Yeah. Which again, on paper, sounds like an inspired choice. Yeah. But he can't do comedy. This wasn't no. Kindergarten Cop. This was yeah. just an abomination. Mm-hmm. Moving on from there, now <laughs> things get interesting because we had a little bit of a detente. Yep. And everybody thought, by all rights, and maybe justifiably, show that the franchise was dead. Up comes a guy who had directed Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. <laughs> right. Goes from that. To what many would consider the definitive Batman origin movie yeah. with Christian Bale, an English actor, yep, which had been in films since what Empire of the Sun back oh, in like the eighties. A lot of people don't realize that too. You just nailed it. That Christian Bale is an Englishman, yep. and he does he does an American accent, for lack of a better term, so well that people yep. don't realize it. It's like he channeled all the right parts from American Psycho into his Batman. Yep. And just, he nailed the obsessive part, like, to a T. Yep. But I love everything about that movie, including the supporting cast and the villains that they chose. Yeah. It was just such a breath of fresh air. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the areas that that is an interesting focus, is bringing the great actors to play the villains. Right. You know, Liam Neeson Neeson as Reza al Ghul was an inspired choice. Yep. You know, and he damn near stole the show. Yeah. You know? I mean, and yeah, Christopher Nolan, you could say, really did rescue Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, it was kind of in ruins, you know, and, and who'd have thunk, and I'm surprised they managed to get financing for it. Right. But yeah, it opened a brand new chapter. And I think I told you that the trivia about um, Liam Neeson playing Ra's al Ghul is that his physical appearance was identical to one of Batman's early mentors, which was a French private detective named Henri Ducard. Right. Who he says he is in the beginning of the movie. Yes, I do remember and that. And when he said that, as I'm sitting there watching this, I'm like, all right, this makes perfect sense. Good. He's going to you know, show him getting trained in, in the, the, the scummy underworld and how to deal with you know, the, the lowlifes and everything. Yep. And then it spins it into 
he's Ra's al Ghul, which he also looks like, you know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, well done, Mr. Home Alone guy. Indeed, indeed. And hard to believe, and it's funny, I didn't know that you brought that up, that he jumped from Home Alone to this. Yeah. You know, and now he's, he's Christopher Nolan. He's very well respect, respected. He did, in, in, what was it, Inception? Yep, yep. Uh, just, just incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then... And then... Now here's where I veer off a little bit. Yeah. We got this new, well, it's new to me, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, an interesting choice. An well, interesting to say the least. Choice. To say the least. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this before we hit Pattinson. To me, the entire um, Christopher Nolan, Christopher, Christopher uh, Bale, uh, Christian Bale treatment of Batman, to me, to use the Bond analogy again, yep. was like, when David Craig took over, yeah, that's it's like let's ex- get serious now. Kind of exactly what yeah. I'm thinking, and yeah, it's it's a lot like again the Bond thing. A mm-hmm. lot of people are just going to reject it flat out. It's, right, that's not my Batman. And much in the same way, the uh, the brain trust behind Bond is now saying that whomever it's going to be, we're making it more ultra realistic. There's not going to be any gadgets or anything like that. Right. Which was kind of the same route they took with the latest Batman movie in order to make it more of like film noir. Yeah. And focus on his detective skills and the things that make the yeah. character the, the character. Well, in a lot of ways, yeah, they take it back to the roots. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I discovered, which was kind of surprising in doing the research, when the original uh, Batman comic came out, or I should say Batman featured in comic detective comics... Uh, back in March of 1939, mm-hmm. Batman was a brutal son of a bitch. He killed people. He maimed villains and whatnot. And in a lot of ways, it felt like with Robert Pattinson, they took it way back to that that idea, that genre, yeah. that that vibe, if you will. And uh, and I will say, the first time I saw it, didn't really get me. And mm. after seeing it, like you do these days. You know, ten or fifteen times over. Right, it's kind of winning me over. It's it's, it's an interesting take. And see, I still can't get around. His performance was okay. You know, yep. I would have to see if he does a sophomore presentation of the same thing to really judge it. Yeah. But what threw me off the rails with that movie was the presentation of Selena Kyle and her origin yeah. as Catwoman. Yeah. Because it was such a departure from the what's canon as far as the origin of the character, which everybody else has pretty much stayed true to. Right. And it's like, you, you didn't need to do that. Sometimes you don't need to change things just to say it's different. Right. You know, there was enough stuff in there that they could have put their personal stamp on. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, that ruined it, as well as, like, the really... Look, the, the, the Batmobile looks like something that was on blocks in front of a redneck yeah, home. Yeah, <laughs> really didn't. You know, and it, it's, it's kind of funny, because we were talking about this before. The, the, the Batmobile is like a subgenre. It's its um, own character. Yeah, very yeah. much so. I mean, one of the coolest things about the campy 60s series was every time they jumped in the Batmobile, there was this procedure. Sure. You know, atomic batteries <laughs> to power, turbines, turbines to the speed. speed. <laughs> you know, and then you got the, 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 the shot of the yep. flames coming out of and the ass. And it roars the car, out of the back. Boom, here. you know. <laughs> and, you know, the vehicle that they came up with in the Christopher Nolan version was mm-hmm. just badass. Yeah. That was just the a tumbler. brute. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic that Robert Pattinson gets a hopped up uh, Dodge Charger or Who whatever the hell it was. It was like a shell. I was worried that halfway through the film, like the carburetor was going to clog. Yeah. It wasn't going to start. Kind of feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, I've almost. had cars that look like that Batmobile. <laughs> they, there was no like suspension of disbelief there whatsoever. To the Batmobile. Let's go. 
Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. And it concerned me. Yeah, picture Johnny Teflon, folks, ripping around New Jersey back in the late oh, you don't 1980s, early 1990s, <laughs> in that version of the Batmobile. Yeah, I, I literally at one point painted uh, my first car flat black yeah. because I knew it would be nigh undetectable at night. There we go. <laughs> the streetlights wouldn't even reflect <laughs> off of it. And come Halloween, when I was normally dressed up as Batman or some other superhero, yeah. I would be playing the Danny Elfman soundtrack for the 89 <laughs> movie and just driving around town because, yeah. Nice. I'm not but, all you there. Know, <laughs> stepping back, taking a look at it from 30,000 feet, you know, just to have the balls to take on this character, sure. given the weight of time and history yep. and whatnot. And, I mean, if you're an actor, if you're Rob Patterson, you got to be seriously thinking, do I really want to do this? Right. You know, because if I if I don't do it well, and, you know, if things that are completely out of my control, like how the movie is edited in mm-hmm. the end, don't go well, this could kill my career. Oh, totally. You know, I could be the idiot that killed the Batman franchise. And I remember uh, Christopher Reeve famously saying, I think it was either right before or right after he did the third uh, Superman movie. Yeah. The first one was, was good. Yes. Nigh legendary. Yep. And the second one was considered, in many circles, as one of the best sequels ever. Yes. And then the bottom just dropped out. Yeah. But I remember him on an interview show saying he, he, he was going to end his run as Superman, not so much for being typecast as that, because he wanted to do other projects. Right. But he was afraid that one day he's going to be at some Hollywood party and get like a, a couple sheets to the wind. And jump off a building thinking he could fly. (laughs) But it was a nice way of him saying that the the character was now bigger than he was. Right. And he didn't want to just lose himself in that. Yeah. So you're right. I think whenever they offer these these mammoth, legendary roles to any actor. Gotta be intimidating. Yeah. Gotta be. By the way, they're saying the front runner now for James Bond is. uh, Tom Hardy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Which I am a big fan. Yeah, oh, I would be okay with that. Tom Hardy's a great actor, but yeah, it is a departure. He doesn't have the uh, good looks of a Pierce Brosnan. He's more of a grizzled Manchester Cockney accent yep. kind of James Bond, which maybe is what they need. Yeah. Because yeah. I was even on board with Idris Elba, because I said, you know, realistically, for James Bond to operate in today's world, you know, uh, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Brit in a tuxedo is not going to be able to really blend in too well. No, and, it's, <laughs> and it, it shows a lack of ambition. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, you got to respect the idea, you know, with Christopher Nolan or, or with, um, you know, the Rob Patterson project of them. Okay, we got to do something different. We mm-hmm. can't just regurgitate. Right. And we're going to live and die on whether or not we can pull this off. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you just have a... How do you pronounce his last name? Elba. Elba. Would have been very, very cool as the slick, you know, charming ladies' man, you know, stunning good looks kind of of James Bond. You know, that has been done. Yeah. You know, or like you said, you could go with a Tom Hardy rough and tumble, you know, this is a guy in a brawl, he's going to win kind of a James Bond. You're going out on a limb, you're taking a chance. You're asking the public to, to accept something different, but at the same time... You create a situation where a generation can identify with that guy. Right, and make it their own. Yeah. If they're lucky, they'll make it their own. Yeah, if they do a good job, if they nail it, yeah, that is a possibility. Well, folks, there's that. (sighs) You can agree, you can disagree. We don't care, because that segment's over. Indeed. Now, for our final gem. Yeah. 
Yes. Interesting take on this one. We uh, went back and forth for quite a oof, bit of time. We usually don't debate time, gems yeah. as, as much as we did on this one. And the reason really for this, we can now say, uh, is, is twofold. So let's give them fold number one first. Okay. And say, well, it's... It's from the 1989 Batman movie. Yeah, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. And it's by Prince, so you doubly can't go wrong. Absolutely. And it, of course, is Party Man. <laughs> That's a fun little tune. Yes. So we're going to end that on, on, on a high note, but like they say in the TV commercials, but wait, there's more, and we'll let you know in about two and a half minutes. Let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? Flashbacks on that one. Great it, flashbacks. It was a really fun scene in the movie. It yeah, was. it was. And I mean, that era, 1989, yeah. you know, that was good times. You yeah. know, we had some fun back then. <laughs> we truly did. 
you know. So yeah, obviously, you know, if if you're not old enough to remember it, like John and I are, Oof. that was from Prince's 1989 Batman album soundtrack to the film of the same name. Yep. And uh, kind of a fun uh, little anecdote as far as the song is concerned. According to Prince, the song was inspired by his onset meeting with Jack Nicholson. Huh. Um, and if you know anything about Jack Nicholson, he is a party know, man. That's yeah. gonna make you smile. <laughs> and uh, Prince actually said that. Jack had an attitude that very much reminded him of Morris Day. Of, that makes sense. Yes, of, of the time. If yep. you saw Purple Rain, you know exactly who Morris Day is. Uh, Prince and Morris Day actually went to high school together and were teenage bandmates in a band called Grand Central. You know, so that was a reference that was you know close to Prince's heart. Uh-huh. You know, and yeah, the legend of Jack Nicholson, you know, <laughs> contributing to the Titties creation. To yes. Of the song Party Man, could it not be any more appropriate? Right. You know what I mean? So, good stuff. Good, good stuff. stuff. Yes. And, uh, and now, the, the, the big reveal, the second reason we, we chose that song, and look, we hate to always have to mention somebody famous who died. We do. It's not planned, but no. when somebody who's of some import, whether it be just their contributions to culture, Cinema, comedy, whatever, or just a sentimental spot yeah. with us two yeah. old codgers. I obviously, don't like to re- <laughs> you know to 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 reflect on you know people passing and whatnot. But right. yeah, we feel kind of obligated to note yeah. these people. So to borrow a line from Jack Nicholson and Batman, commence du festival, <laughs> as we say goodbye to a comedian of one name. There aren't many one-named comedians. No, no, and that speaks volumes. Right, man. and yes. this, of course, was Gallagher. He of the giant sledge-o-matic. Yes. And, yeah, we're showing our age, and further proof that really, <laughs> in, in the 70s and early 80s, we laughed at just anything, because there was nothing really fun going on outside oh, of the discotheque or your local drug dealer. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, Gallagher would come out. He was what we call a prop comedian. Yes, he was. Like a precursor to a carrot head, perhaps, or yeah, carrot top, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, his, his claim to fame was that damn sledgehammer, and he would hammer watermelons and, and everything. Can you imagine making a good living, right? smashing the shit out of watermelons and on stage? And spraying people with garbage. Which is probably the best part of it. <laughs> You know, absolutely, just showering your audience with debris. You could probably talk to a like a psychologist, and they would say there was something slightly psychosexual about that yeah, entire probably, performance. Probably, yeah, you know, doubt that for caution, you may get wet in the front row. <laughs> hubba hubba. But anyway, yeah, and then yeah, he was great at making fun of himself because he was like bald, but he had that long hair in the back. Yep, and he'd wear the the cap yep. that had the long hair attached to yep. it. <laughs> just. <laughs> Funny and, and, and irreverent, never had a mean word to say about anybody. So, you know, farewell, Gallagher. Thank you for the laughs. Yes. And you folks would probably catch him on, like, the Game Show Network because he would, like, judge all those stupid game shows sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. It was a ubiquitous presence back yeah. in the day. Right. Check YouTube. But make sure it's it's him you're looking at, not his doppelganger brother. Yeah, I know. That's a story that's, for another day. Speaking yeah, of true crime. Seriously. God. Yeah, weird, wow. weird thing there. A little bit. Now, other than that, the only other stuff we've got going on... Uh, well, I hate to put it that way, but, you know, we have uh, yet another addition to the Classic Rock Showcase. All right. One that should have been done a very, very long time ago. Yes. That would be the Stray Cats. Nice. Now, what kind of radio station with a flagship show called the Rockabilly Rumble takes five years to come up with, with a special on the Stray Cats? Hey, better late than never. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, bang. And that was, of course, super easy to do. Nice. 
And then other than that, we're just hunkering down, getting uh, used to the cold temperatures, because, yeah. yeah, it's holiday season. It is indeed. And, yeah, Oof. before we forget, happy holidays <laughs> to everybody. Well, at least Thanksgiving. Indeed. Yep. We'll be uh, pumping out new shows right up until, you know, Christmas probably. Maybe take a couple week break over the new year. Yeah. And then we'll be back in full force in 2023. Wow. Do you believe that? Oh, yeah. You think about flying cars by then? It's only like a month away. You but. know, I'm still waiting for the, the underwater sea <laughs> lab thing. What was that? Yeah. 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 Or Space yeah. 1999 <laughs> with the base on the moon. You know, come on, let's go with yeah, this. Yeah, but then we'd all be wearing up. leisure suits on the moon. This is so also true. Yeah, yeah that'd be a little that. funky. Yeah. So, yeah. any folks, there you have it. That was episode 130 of the Riff and Rants podcast. Good fun, good fun. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Shunley. And we'll see you all on the flip side.